was a ghost in the garden where I saw a man and a woman. Rooted Week 8. How does God view money? Weekly memory verse. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 19-21 Day one, it's a heart issue. The way we think about money and the place it has in our lives is extremely important. So important that Jesus taught more on money than faith and prayer, more than anything else except for the kingdom of God. He knew the power money can have in our lives and how it can help us accomplish God's purpose. He also knew how easily it can strangle the very purpose for which we were created. Jesus said we can't love and serve both God and money. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, and you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Matthew 6, 24. There is a raging battle going on over which powerful master will claim our hearts. When it comes to where we put money in our lives, we often think we can keep a good balance, but sometimes when we lean toward money, we begin to serve power, prestige, pride, and selfishness, none of which are from God. We want to think money doesn't have power over us or that it has a neutral place in our lives. But there are times when we listen to the promises money makes. Promises to make us somebody or to give us security and safety. Money is immensely powerful and the love of it makes us more susceptible to believing Satan's lies. Money has the power to undermine our love for God and our desire to serve him. The tricky thing is money is part of our world. We can't live without it. We need it to function normally in society. In that case, we need to have control over it so it doesn't take control over us. It comes down to a decision of faith that God places in our hearts. Will we choose money or him? Money is tangible. We can hold it, see it, count it, look at numbers going up or down. Our faith in God is not something we can physically hold or touch. There's no way of quantifying our love and trust in him. But that's why it's called faith. We trust that he keeps his promise to provide every good and perfect thing we need. We trust he is our loving Father, who is involved in every detail of our lives and holds us in the palm of his hand. If our hearts are not right and are focused inward rather than on God, the way we handle money will reflect that. Jesus talks about money to teach us how to use it and the place it should have. He warns us not to live for money. It should never take priority over our relationships with God or others. We learned in the first week of Rooted we were designed for relationship with God. Our purpose then is to have an intimate, loving relationship with the living God. Once this is right in our lives and we truly love God first, only then are we able to fully love others as he wants us to. So then, what is the purpose of money? Money serves as a means to provide for our basic needs, clothing, food, shelter, and enjoyment. Sure, God could choose to provide for our basic needs by dropping food from the sky, as he did for the Israelites, but that's not the way he operates now. Instead, he implemented a system by which we would work, produce, and need others to provide for the things of this world. Money allows us to interact with others, work alongside them, and be in community and relationship. 
Getting our hearts in the right place where money is concerned is a daily practice. Priorities need to be set or aligned daily, otherwise they can easily become out of place. The love of money will quickly overcome love of God and others. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. The Bible gives us the best financial advice there is. This helps us to prioritize our time and energy and recalibrate our hearts on a consistent basis. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew six twenty-five to 34 Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Luke six thirty-eight. Then Jesus said to them, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Luke 12:15. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 8, 17-20 Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the firstfruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Proverbs 3, 9-10 The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Psalm 24, 1-6 the rest of this week, we will look at the practical lessons the Bible teaches us about how to handle our money. Note. Consider taking a financial management class that addresses money from a biblical worldview and provides practical tools for managing the resources God has given you. Daily Response
Look at the Bible verses above and on the previous page. Circle those that challenge or encourage you. How do these verses align with your current view of money? Write a prayer, focusing your heart on God and His purpose for your life. Ask for God's guidance as you align your heart to His will and desires for you. Day 2. Owner versus Manager. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He is the source, provider, and creator, and he is the owner and investor who entrusts us with worldly wealth. Understanding that God is the true owner of your money is the first principle of managing it well, and understanding what it means to be a good steward is second. We are merely charged to take care of God's possessions. Our role is to wisely manage and invest on God's behalf all the wealth he gives us. This means we need to treat the money we handle, paychecks, gifts, inheritances, etc., wisely and use it to accomplish God's purposes. One of the clearest peace places stewardship is taught is in a parable told by Jesus. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Matthew 25, 19-21 In this section of the parable, the master, who represents God, expects his servants to handle the money well on his behalf and rewards them accordingly. Again, the foundation for handling money in a God-honoring way is to understand that he owns everything, including money, and that our role is to manage God's money well for him. With this perspective, our money management becomes clearer. When we choose to handle money God's way, things that used to be difficult become a little bit easier. Things like budgeting, saving, giving, and making wiser financial decisions. When we read everything God has to say about money, one thing becomes clear. He expects us to live on a budget. Living on a budget is the only way to successfully manage the resources God has given us. It also encourages living below our means, or at least within our means. When we live below our means, we are proving we believe in God's provision. We believe He is good, and He has given us more than enough to live. When we live beyond our means and go into debt, we are essentially questioning God's provision and promise to provide for us. When budgeting how to use God's resources, there are three main categories where we need to allocate the resources God has given us. Give, save, and spend. Guidelines presented by most Christian financial advisors use a standard of 10, 10, and 80 when it comes to our income. Give 10%, save 10%, and live off the remaining 80. Before we look at these categories individually, let's quickly address the issue of taxes. The Bible tells us to obey the law and give to the government what it is owed. Paul tells the church in Rome, Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If 
revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Considering the oppressive government under which Christ followers lived in that day, this was a difficult mandate to hear and follow. Taxation was much harsher and much more difficult to pay than it is today. But the Bible is clear. Pay your taxes. Now let's look at the three categories of 10, 10, and 80. Give. The most important category of your budget is giving back to God. It is important to remember God doesn't need our money. He owns everything. We've already established that. Giving is not God's way of raising money. It's his way of raising people with surrendered hearts. He wants people to learn to trust and love him. Giving is an extension of our worship. God repeatedly tells us to give and have an eternal view of everything he's given us. He instructs his people to give the first fruits of their labor, not their leftovers. This is very important. It should be our goal to give back to God first and live on what is left. Look at Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. This sheds light on God's expectation of us, as well as the results from living out this type of discipline. Tomorrow, we will go into more depth about giving. Save. Savings is the portion of our income we set aside to help us in the future, or for those pesky, unexpected events. It gives us the freedom during hard economic times, sickness, layoffs, or any other circumstances that we cannot foresee. This is the wisest thing we can do after giving. Proverbs 6, 6-8 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. A good steward is able to set aside money for the future. These savings, as with your giving, should be done before other spending. A guideline used by many good Christian financial advisors for savings would be 10% of your gross income. If you aren't saving now, start saving any amount with a goal of 10%. Spend. The last part of our spending plan goes to providing for our daily needs. These include food, clothing, housing, transportation, and entertainment. Many people spend here first without giving, saving, and paying taxes, and herein lies the problem. It is self-focused and not God-focused. When this happens, Satan wins and money is our master, not God. This style, type of lifestyle can lead to debt, which we will look at in depth later this week. Budgets can seem tedious to those who have not yet created and lived within one. However, it is this type of disciplined and planned spending that leads to successful management of God's resources. When we manage well what God has given us, we will hear those words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Daily Response In your mind, what is the difference between an owner and a manager? How have you been acting like an owner? How have you been acting like a manager? What has been your experience with budgets?
write a prayer, turning over ownership of your resources to God and asking for guidance and wisdom in managing what has been entrusted to you. Day 3. Joining God in His Work Let's begin by clarifying a misconception. Sometimes, when an offering is about to be taken at church, it is said, let's give back a portion of what God has given to us. This is bad theology. Remember, we already said that God owns it all. It's hard to give back something to someone who already owns it. Rather, what we should understand is that as God's money managers, there is a portion he wants us to invest in his kingdom work in the world. This, mon this is money we give to our churches and other Christian organizations for the expressed purpose of spreading the love and truth of Jesus to those in and out of the church. On top of this, God wants us to be generous in general and to see our money as a tangible way to express love to others. In this way, we are joining God in his work. We are blessed to be a blessing. Conversely, when we clutch what we have been given and hold back, we cut ourselves off from his blessing. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-15 Giving also allows us to invest in eternity. In Matthew 6, 19-20, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Investing our money in these two, in these two areas, God's word and God's people, is a wise and sound investment. Giving recognizes our dependence on God. Deuteronomy 14.23 says the Israelites were to give one-tenth of all their crops in order that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. It shows that we understand it is God who provides. We tangibly express our faith by saying, God, I believe you will continue to provide for me. It keeps our focus on the giver as opposed to the gift. There are different kinds of giving. The first is tithing. There is much discussion these days about the topic of tithing, not if we should tithe, but how much we should tithe. We can take our cue from the definition of the word tithe itself, which means a tenth part found throughout the Old Testament. 
The Bible tells us in many ways to give our offerings to God, to honor him by bringing him our best to help others, the church, the poor, the widows, and the orphans. In the Bible, the tithe was never supposed to be all that was given to God, but rather a starting point. It was instituted to help God's people begin to learn how to give and to become channels of his blessing. One place that suffers most when we don't trust God to meet our financial needs is our giving. Consider a tithe challenge. Increase your current tithing level by 1%. If you tithe 5% right now, the challenge is to trust God with one more percent and begin tithing 6%. If you haven't stepped into the tithing practice at all yet, begin with 1%. Trust God to continue to meet your needs even though you have taken 1% and given it to his church. If you are already at 10% or more, move past that by 1%. The hardest challenge in giving isn't moving from a certain percentage to 1% more. It is moving from nothing to something. Put it to the test. See if you tr- your trust in God with that extra percentage leads to hardship or leads to reward and blessing. Take this tithe challenge and watch God work. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 The other way we can give is free will offerings. These offerings are in addition to our regular tithes, not in place of them. While a tithe is given out of obedience, the Bible also teaches about the importance of giving gifts for God's work. The free will gift is to be given out of joy as a response to God's goodness. These offerings are sometimes used for disaster relief or a special need in the church. In Exodus 35.4, when Moses asked the Israelites to give an offering for the building of a tent for worship, the people gave so willingly that they had to be restrained. As Randy Alcorn says in Money, Possession, and Eternity, the tithe was never a ceiling for giving, only a floor. It was a beginning point. Beyond it, God's children gave more, sometimes much more, as needs and opportunities arose. The tithe was a demonstration of obedience, Voluntary offerings were a demonstration of love, joy, and worship. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Daily Response What is your experience with giving? How are you blessed to be a blessing? What gets in the way of you being a regular, faithful giver? Write a prayer expressing your thoughts on giving tithes and offerings. Ask God to work in your heart where necessary to change any attitude that counter God's plan for giving. Ask him to clear the obstacles in the way of living generously. Time wasn't able to keep you, and time was unable to tell that we all day four. 
freedom from debt. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans 12.2 That verse has never been more true than when it comes to living with debt. As Christians, we are called to live a different way, and that includes a way without debt. The world encourages debt. Living beyond our means is trumpeted as the way to live. After all, you work hard, you deserve everything you want, right? Just charge it, take out a loan, and take that vacation. Get the bigger, better car and just extend the length of the loan so you can make uh, the payments. 2011 statistics tell us that the average household has credit card debt of $14,743. In Orange County, one of the wealthiest counties in the country, the household credit card debt is even higher. Those are sad statistics. But is that what God wants for us? Nope. Actually, the Bible warns us against being in debt. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower a slave to the lender. Proverbs 22.7 Do not be one who shakes hands and pledges or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. Proverbs 22.26-27 Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Romans 13.8 The Bible is clear. Do not accumulate debt. While many financial Christian counselors will make exceptions for a mortgage payment or college debt, in both cases the debt is seen as a conservative financial investment for the future, the bottom line is that we should see debt as the enemy. Earlier in the week we touched on how living beyond our means is a sign of discontent and an ungrateful heart. If we really believe God provides for all our needs and blesses us beyond measure, we wouldn't spend more than we have. People with content hearts don't live in want of more. They live in a state of, I have enough, and therefore don't take out loans for things they can't afford, or use credit cards for purchases outside of their budget. Money does not create contentment. People who live in a state of wanting more can be people of any income level. Sometimes people who earn more money or have more financial means are the least content, and therefore often have a high ratio of debt to income. A great illustration of contentment goes like this. Who is the most content, a man with five kids or a man with five million dollars? The answer is the man with five kids because he doesn't want any more. Some of you reading this may be living debt-free lives. Congratulations and well done. Keep up the good work and concentrate on your giving and savings plans. However, statistics show the majority of Americans are in bondage to debt because they have spent money they have not yet earned. This doesn't mean they can't afford the payments on the credit cards and loans they have. It means they cannot support their lifestyle with the money they earn. If you are in this category for whatever reason, know that you are not alone, and no matter how dire the situation seems, there is hope. Earlier this week, we recommended taking a biblically-based financial education class. In this kind of class, you will learn biblical truths regarding debt as well as a plan to reduce debt and begin a life of freedom. It is possible. A common tool taught in these classes is the Snowball Debt Reduction Plan. Results are typically quick and give you the immediate gratification that spurs on success. It works like this. On a sheet of paper, list all debt in order of smallest to largest. Next to each debt, list the required minimum payment. List the payment you can afford to make on each debt. You may want to give up an expendable item in order to increase this amount, such as lattes, magazine subscriptions, premium cable packages. Pay off the smallest debt as quickly as possible. 
roll the amount you were paying to the smallest debt into the next smallest debt, pay off the next smallest debt as fast as possible, roll the amount you were paying to that debt to the next smallest debt, and so on and so on and so on until all of your debt is clear. The process seems easy here on paper. In real life it will be more difficult, but it is so worth the hard work and sacrifice. With perseverance you can and will become debt free. As you can see from God's word today, debt is not of God. Debt is the result of living beyond what God says you need, or not saving wisely. Either way, debt can and should be cleared. We can learn to live with a more content attitude, believing God truly will provide for all we need. The bottom line is God wants us to live freely. Without being a slave to debt, we are free to be of service to him and to others. We can live generously, cheerfully, and contentedly. Daily Response What debt do you have? What is it doing to the condition of your heart? Why is it important to reduce and eliminate debt completely? What step are you going to take to begin getting out of debt? Write a prayer expressing your desire for debt-free living. If you need to confess discontentment, do that now and ask God to fill you with contentment and gratefulness. Day 5. In God we trust. Scripture is full of examples where God blessed his people when they chose to trust him. It is also filled with numerous warnings against placing our trust in temporal objects such as money. Still, many of us are quick to think the only way to become financially secure is to accumulate enough wealth to somehow become immune to all the possible trials that life may throw our way. Using this line of thinking, money can sometimes give us the illusion of security, but as Proverbs states, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 Unforeseen events such as economic recessions, natural disasters, and medical emergencies can crack and scramble even the largest of nest eggs. Obviously, we can and should mitigate some of this risk through insurance and other hedges, but no risk management plan will ever be foolproof. For this reason, Jesus tells us to store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Matthew 6.20 This is not to say saving and planning are not important, or God disapproves of anyone who seeks financial freedom. Scripture clearly teaches it is wise to plan, save, and diligently work towards goals God leads us to pursue. However, we must recognize the true source of our abilities and acknowledge the presence of our own human deficiencies. 
It is often said money is power, but the real power lies with the one who can create or destroy wealth. In the end, God will decide our financial future, and therefore he should be the one in whom we place our trust. But do we trust him? Really? Paul said he learned how to be content, whether he had plenty of money and resources, or whether money was in short supply. He learned this by relying on God's strength. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4, 11-13 There will be times of excess and times of need in our lives, but the only thing we have to carry us through this life and into the next is our faith in God and our relationship with Him. Beyond that, remember God promises to not only supply our every need, but to do so liberally. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 19 Having faith that God will supply our needs is extremely important, but God never promised to supply our wants exactly when we want them. For instance, just because God will provide during a time when money is scarce doesn't mean we should spend money the same way we did when money was plentiful. That isn't faith or trust. That's being irresponsible. These days, we all know people, even in the church, who have experienced devastating financial loss due to trusting in their own power, their earning potential, and the next business deal that never came. They have lost cars, homes, even families due to their misplaced trust. They are unable to give up control and relinquish it to the one with ultimate control. This is so sad because these may be good people, but they have relied on their wealth and resources and they have put their trust in those alone. The consequences are disastrous. At the end of the day, it is a matter of trust. Look at Malachi. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and th that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land says the Lord Almighty. Malachi 3, 8-12 This whole passage is powerful and speaks to the wisdom of trusting in God with our finances, but I especially love the phrase, for yours will be a delightful land. Whether it is a nation, a church, a family, a person, or person, there is something so delightful about those who trust in God and understand who is ultimately responsible for their security and provision. These individuals can live worry-free and be generous with their resources, they practically live out what it means to willingly and happily steward their finances as God desires and live with contentment in the blessings that God provides. Let us be the ones with the delightful land. Daily Response When it comes to providing for your needs, where are all the places you trust God? And what are the results? What would it look like for you to courageously trust him with your finances?
Write a prayer to God, turning over trust to Him. Confess your misplaced trust and what that has done to your life. Pray for strength as you turn your faith to God and relinquish control.